Father, I thank you that you are so magnificent and that you've given us your word. I thank you that you sent Jesus to us. And I thank you, Father God, that our belief in his death, burial, and resurrection has caused us to have freedom to come into your presence. I thank you, Father God, that through your word, we are transformed by its power. And I ask, Father God, that the Holy Spirit would work in each one of us to make us more like your Son. Use us, Father God, individually and as a church to bring your kingdom to a greater place of prominence in this community and in the world. Thank you for this time that we have together this morning. And I lift up the children as they go downstairs. And I lift up those that are teaching and helping. And I thank you, Father, that we have opportunity to communicate the gospel to the next generation. Thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Ah, got a little bit of a throat thing going on, so it's good to be here. We're starting a new series today. That series is called The Foundations of the Gospel. It's a series from the book of Genesis. And maybe you don't make that connection, but we're going to help you with that. Genesis points in so many ways to the gospel. The Hebrew name for this book is literally the book of the act of the beginning. That's the, the way the, the Hebrew would read in, in the title of, of this first book in the Bible. The book of the act of the beginning. Our term Genesis comes from the Greek genesis, which means book of origins. And genesis is, is, is actually the Greek translation of the Hebrew word tolidoth. Thank you, brother. And it carries the, the meaning of, of every detail of a person's life. And it goes beyond just the details of a person life, person's life to the descendants of, of, of a person, you know, like the family tree, and, and it refers to the chronological procession of human history. The English translation, if you go Hebrew to English, Toledoth is translated generations. So in a way, we start looking at the origins, and, and we look at that in terms of generations. Genesis is the beginning. That's obvious. But there's something that we need to do that's very important before we go directly to Genesis. There's something else that's going on. So the first place we go, turn with me to John, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. John writes, In the beginning was the Word, And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, in the English, the word beginning, we we have a way of understanding that. In the Greek, that's arche, and it refers to the beginning of the universe. So the beginning of what God created. In this passage in John, it's important to understand that the verb was is in the imperfect tense, which means continuing action in the past. So this is something that's been going on. 
Paul or John is, is wanting us to understand that Jesus existed before the universe was created. John's gospel starts with the proper understanding of Jesus' existence eternally before the universe was created. What John emphasizes is before any part of the created universe appeared, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit existed in perfect, infinite love, happiness, fellowship, and equality. We have to start there. That's really the starting point for our thinking The Trinity never came into being. The triune God simply eternally existed. This incredibly important truth is understood also in the name that God uses when he introduces himself in a way to to Moses. If you remember in Exodus, Moses says to God, this is Exodus 3, beginning in verse 13. Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. He he said, so say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And in that name, I am is this incredibly important idea that God has always been. He's always existed. This is so vital. This is incredibly important for us. God has always existed. This is the the most important. This is the greatest starting point for understanding the Bible. There was God and only God. And He chose to create The universe is His creation, created created out of nothing. He gave it substance, form, and a beginning. And that beginning is what's referred to in Genesis. This truth is vital. Because God created the universe, He, He then is the ultimate reality. Humans, this may not, you may not like this, but it's true. You're not the greatest reality. I know some of you think that way, but humans are not the greatest reality. Nature's not the greatest reality. God is the greatest and absolute reality because He's always existed. We are the product of God's unfathomable creative power. Therefore, Anything of value, any truth, anything beautiful is measured by the quality, nature, and power of God. If we get this truth wrong, everything else comes apart. Nothing works. We must get the starting point right. When we get this right in our thinking, if this is the way we think, then it positively impacts every area of our life. Genesis, then, is is the starting point for understanding a great deal of things, like how and why we exist, how the stars, our planet, the the animals and plants, how they came into existence. Genesis explains why there are massive beds of fossils, why there are different languages and ethnic groups. Genesis forms our understanding of sin, death, and conflict in the world. 
Genesis gives us foundational truth about marriage, gender, family, ethnicity, and the origin of nations. None of those apply to our society today. How we view Genesis has implications through all of Scripture. It, it, it is so vital for us to grasp this because Genesis impacts our, our Christian worldview. Our understanding of Genesis affects our understanding of the gospel, Christian life, the end of humanity, and how we comprehend ourselves. If we don't believe what Genesis teaches about origins, it is very difficult to understand our purpose and our future destiny. Genesis is a unique book within the collection of books that we call the Bible. It is quoted, Genesis is quoted or referenced more than any other book by the other books in the Bible. So as you read through Scripture, and Scripture refers to itself, it refers to Genesis most often. One of the great examples of that is in the New Testament. At least 200 references to Genesis appear in the New Testament. 165 of those passages are are quotes from Genesis. And most of those are from Genesis 1 through 11. That's very important for us to grasp. Here are some examples. I could go through all 165, but we don't have time. So here's here's a few. In Matthew 19, 4 and 5, Jesus quotes Genesis 2, 24. He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He's quoting Genesis. Luke has another passage where Jesus uses the Old Testament. Genesis. Luke 17, verses 26-27. Just as it was in the day of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Jesus refers back to that story of the flood and Noah. That gives that a lot of credence then. There isn't any reason why somebody should doubt the flood. Jesus references Genesis. Paul references and cites Genesis. One of those places is in Romans 4, 3. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So Paul goes back to Genesis, and using the story of Abraham teaches us about faith in the plan of God for our redemption. Now, because of this, because of how Genesis is used foundationally for all of what God has done, it should not be a surprise to us that the critics of the Bible attack the first 11 chapters more than any other portion of Scripture. Those that oppose Christianity and the Bible opposed those 11 chapters more than any other portion of Scripture. Biblical theology and Jesus being the Messiah would have no foundation without those 11 chapters. 
Within those chapters, the foundations, you also find some other incredible foundations. Foundations for marriage. What does marriage mean? Foundations of sin, death, God's plan of redemption, the flood, the origin of languages, the beginning of the historical nations. All of those things are found in Genesis. So if we get Genesis wrong, the rest of Christianity fails. Genesis also establishes the foundation of living within the design of God's moral standards and the consequences for departing from His standards. We learn in Genesis the beginning of human sin. And we see those consequences. Without this truth, without the truth of of why there's sin, we don't really even need a Savior. Without the truth that we see foundationally in Genesis, Jesus hanging on the cross, being laid in the tomb, and raising from the dead really means nothing. And actually, if we don't believe Genesis, then why do we believe anything in the Bible? The New Testament teaches us that the Creator is our Redeemer. So there's another connection an inference, but the Creator is our Redeemer. In Colossians 1.13, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into, his, into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. If Jesus is not the creator, then he's not the redeemer. Second Peter tells us that God himself is going to bring about an instantaneous disillusionment, an instantaneous destruction of the entire universe. 2 Peter 3.10, But the day of the Lord will come like a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the the works that are done on it will be exposed. So God is going to do this. He's, He's going to uncreate. God has the power to do that. He has the power to destroy His creation. He also has the power to create it and maintain it. And that passage in Colossians tells us that God maintains it. He holds it all together. And in a time in the future, all of what is created will be destroyed. With a simple spoken word. God created. And in that simple way, in His power and majesty, He can destroy creation and create something new. He's in control. Understanding the book of Genesis is foundational to the rest of the Bible. Genesis cannot be reduced to a secondary optional book of ancient writing. It is tragic that a portion of Christianity in our time has reduced Genesis to, to at best, a secondary place. And at worst, it's been reduced to a book of ancient creative writing. Nothing more than mythology. That's tragic. 
It's greatly disturbing to me, and I hope it's disturbing to you, that the first 11 chapters, especially creation, the fall, and the flood, have become so uncomfortable to some who teach under the title of Christianity. They have begun to teach that those passages are not at par with the rest of inspired scripture. I read that there are some who, even, who would even say that's not really inspired. They've negated scripture. God gave us Genesis. And it's fascinating, intriguing, and powerful in our life as believers. It begins with one of the the, the greatest apologetic statements in all of Scripture. It's simple, but yet it is so powerful how it begins. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. You can stop right there and have volumes and volumes and volumes come from that simple statement. In the beginning, God. The Holy Spirit adds to that, God created the heavens and the earth. This concise statement tells us God existed before the universe began. It tells us God is powerful and sovereign. If we stumble with the truths God has revealed in Genesis, accepting God's existence... Is difficult at best. And it also becomes more difficult to appreciate the rest of the Bible. Now this, this idea of beginnings and, and this problem of whether or not we accept Genesis, it's not limited to a debate of evolution versus creation. It's not limited to that. It includes that. But that's not its limitations. It is a debate on the veracity of God-breathed Scripture. The real debate comes down to this. Either you believe the Bible or you don't. You either believe Genesis or you don't. If you don't believe Genesis, then most of the rest of Scripture has no foundation. It has no meaning. As students of the Bible, we realize the inspired words of God are written in a variety of different ways. The, the scriptures use various literary types, such as poetry, prophecy, historical narrative, law, wisdom. And there's the epistles. And, and that word epistles, it, it, it means letters, the letters that were written to individuals and groups. Genesis is considered historical narrative. It details Real people. It details real cities and real events. It's a historical narrative. Most of the evidence, and most scholars agree, that Moses was the author that God, that the Holy Spirit used to write the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, which would include Genesis. And the time in which he wrote was probably while Israel was wandering in the wilderness after their enslavement in Egypt. And this historical narrative that we find in Genesis is accurate history. Archaeology and science both just keep proving that over and over and over. The things in Genesis actually happened. The other thing we see in Genesis in the historical narrative is that it begins to focus on one family line. A family that was selected by God to resent, to, to resent, to represent Him on earth. 
That one family line was to produce the Messiah. To present God's plan of redemption through the Messiah to the entire human race. That's what the, the, the historical narrative is about, is that one family. As we go through Genesis, we also will see that Genesis divides into two sections. The first section is usually referred to as primitive history, and it includes Genesis 1 through 11. In this section, the narrative covers creation through the Tower of Babel and the introduction of Abraham. The second section is referred to as patriarchal history, chapters 12 through 50. And this section begins with Abraham and ends with Joseph being in Egypt. Both of these sections are of great theological and historical significance. One of the ways that we see this significance is how this this narrative in Genesis corresponds with the book of Revelation. We could also add all of those places that the other scriptures refer to Genesis. But it's intriguing what we see in the first book and the last book. In Revelation, paradise lost is gained. What was lost in Genesis is gained. Paradise is restored. The curse because of the fall is ended. I like this passage, Revelation 22, beginning of verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. Believers will find themselves in the eternal paradise, the garden that was lost, that we read about in Genesis. They will find and have access to and eat from the tree of life. As we go through this study in Genesis, the foundations of the gospel, we will, we will see, we will, we will have foundational truths that will focus our attention on the glory of God. There is so much that points to the glory of God that starts in Genesis. I'll share some of that with you. The glory of God is seen in His internal nature. His glory is infinite. It begins in Genesis. The glory of His knowledge. There is nothing that God doesn't know He knows everything that is possible to be known. This idea begins in Genesis. The glory of his wisdom. He needs no instruction. In everything he does, he, he doesn't need somebody to come alongside of him and teach him. Everything he thinks is perfect. The glory of his authority. He has total control over everything. Every atom, every star, every life. 
will see the glory of his providence. He knows when any bird falls and every hair that turns gray and even those that keep falling out. The glory of his word. This begins for us. This is part of that beginning, the foundation in Genesis. His glory and his word that maintains the universe, managing every atom, every molecule by his word. That's also part of the glory of his power. He created everything we understand. He created it from nothing. He healed the lame. The blind received sight. He calmed the storms and he walked on the water and he raised the dead. All of those aspects of his power we see beginning in Genesis. We have an understanding, a foundation of of his power. We see the glory of his purity. It is impossible for him to sin. He never has a bad attitude or an evil thought. The glory of his trustworthiness. He never lies. All through the historical narrative, he makes agreements with human beings. He never lies. He never breaks his word. And he fulfills every one of his promises. We begin to understand that glorious feature of God in Genesis. We understand the glory of his justice. He in perfect morality will settle all accounts of all creatures. Those who believe, he gives eternal blessing. Those who reject him, he gives eternal damnation. It begins in Genesis. The glory of his patience. We'll see that in in Genesis. He shows us so much patience, even though we continually sin which is related to to some others, like the obedience of Jesus. We see the beginning of that process of, of Jesus coming in obedience. In Genesis, Jesus was perfectly obedient, willing to go to the cross. We see God's wrath at His appointed time. His indescribable power will fall on those who reject Him, and they will forever be in torment. And we also see in Genesis his grace. He continually gives to those who believe what we don't deserve. And out of all of that, we, we begin to see the picture of the glory of God's love. It was because of his love for each of us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's part of his love that we even exist. Genesis points to all these foundations of the gospel. I'm looking forward to this series immensely as we see the glory of God foundationally in Genesis. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for creating us and giving us life Help us, Father God, to be yours. Holy Spirit, encourage us to seek your kingdom, to seek your word, to be a part of what you're doing. And I ask, Father God, as we go through this series in Genesis, that our faith 
would become stronger and our resolve to be your people would be massively enhanced. Thank you, Father God, for who you are and what you've given to us. In Christ's name, amen.